Scripture reading this morning comes from the book of James, uh, chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. Hear the word of the Lord. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled... Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And as you take a seat, let me pray for our time as we continue together. Father in heaven, you are the giver of all good things. You are the source of all truth and light, and we ask in this time, Lord, that you would make known to us the the truth, the mystery, the power of your word. Lord, I am not adequate to, to unpack the truth of this timeless text, and so I ask that in this moment you would, so to speak, stand in my body, think with my mind, speak with my words, so that your church would be edified, empowered, and equipped to live out the mission you've called us to. Lord, would you speak in such a way that would draw people far from you and bring them near through the blood of Jesus Christ, who is our only hope in life and death. May this time be honoring to you and edifying to all who hear. We pray this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. All right, we are going to play uh, a little game. Uh, If you were here last week, Pastor Andrew Jones from Leewood Campus played a little game, and I was inspired to do the same. And so we're going to play a little word association game. I'm going to say a word, and I want you to say out loud the the word, the corresponding word that naturally follows, okay? So for example, read and brilliant is the word. That's okay. If you didn't get that one, that's all right. Well, we'll have, that was the practice round. So just kidding. Okay, so this this is the real one. This is the real one, okay? Peanut butter and? You got it. Macaroni and? Beautiful. Bacon and? It's actually bacon. It's more bacon. That's actually the correct, that's the correct answer. Uh, okay, okay, that's right, that's right. Two out, two out of three is not too bad. Okay. Uh, pen and? Pen and pen. Oh, 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 pencil. Oh, I, I'll accept pencil. Half credit, half credit. Okay, there we go. Pen and paper. Okay. Socks and? Very good, very good. Okay, now people, let's see how well you love me. Tuesdays and? Tacos, very good, very good, thank you. Okay, and then the last one, last one, faith and works. All these things go hand in hand. They fit together. To, to have one without the other feels incomplete. We, we associate these things together as pairs. And when one is missing, we feel as though something is inadequate, something is not quite right. 
And as much as I would love to preach a sermon on tacos or bacon or, or bacon tacos, uh, I want to spend some time listening to these ancient, timeless words of the biblical author James who shows us the inseparable relationship between faith and works, which is a very hard thing for us to reconcile in our minds. Which one comes first? What's more important? How do we weigh one over the other? But as James shows us that there is absolutely an inseparable relationship between faith and works. And I believe this is a message that not only James wants us to hear, it's a message that I believe God wants us to hear. He has, he has saved this for us in his, in his inerrant word. But this is also a message that I believe people outside the church want the church to hear. The message that faith and works go together. I think that there are many non-believers in our church in our community, and in our culture who are asking the question, does, does, the, does the faith of Christians actually change their life? Is the presence of the Christian faith a net positive in our world? Does real faith really change anything? Last week, there was an event uh, hosted by the Barna Group. The, the Barna Group conducts a lot of studies and statistical data around the church and culture, and they did an event here in Kansas City on the state of Kansas City and the church. And there were some fascinating findings, but one in particular that was really interesting was this. 87% of churchgoers in Kansas City believe that their church offers opportunities to make a difference in their community, but only 45% of non-churchgoers believe that. 90% of churchgoers in Kansas City believe that their church cares about what's happening in their community, but only 54% of non-churchgoers believe that. Additionally, Christians are increasingly viewed and seen as untrustworthy, unsafe, especially when it comes to matters uh, of injustice, of hurts, of talking about abuse. And, and that breaks my heart as a Christian, as a pastor. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that Christians are accurately represented by these perceptions, but man, if, if you're a Christian worth your salt, you probably want to ask the question, why is the church perceived in such a way? Why are these questions being asked of if the church is a net positive gain in our world? And so if you're a Christian, if you are a, a forgiven follower of Jesus, a citizen of his forever kingdom, if you have been redeemed by Christ, empowered by his spirit, a believer and worshiper of God most high, we should ask ourselves this question. Is your life any different from your non-believing friends, family members, coworkers, and neighbors? Because according to James, real faith really works. Real faith really works. And there, there's two ways you can kind of take that statement, that real faith actually produces works and that real faith is actually effective in producing a changed life that we desire. And I believe both are true as laid out for us in James's letter. And so, so what I want to do, this is where I want to spend our time looking at, this statement that I believe James is making, that real faith really works. And so I want to frame kind of our context. We, we've been in, this is our third week in the book of James, exploring what real faith really is. And so I want to kind of set the context. James is writing to a collection of Christians who have been kind of persecuted, who have been uh, dislocated and kind of exiled outside of their familiar community. And, and they are now have kind of found themselves on the margins of society, if you will. And so James is writing to them, but notice he's writing in such a way that he's not just encouraging them. He's actually calling them out to live out their faith with greater conviction, consistency, and compassion. 
And so as they're pushed to the, the margins of society, as they've dealt with persecution and, and being dislocated, James is calling them to live out their faith that really works. And although it's not to the same degree, I think the, the, the American church in particular, I think we are experiencing some semblance of a being pushed to the margins of society in various ways, clearly not to this degree, but I believe this is a timely word for the church, that in a time where the church is kind of being criticized and, 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 and attacked in various ways, what is our response? Is it one of hunkering down and, and criticizing the culture and pointing back and saying, but he started it? Is that what we're to be doing as a church? I think what James is calling us to is a life of obedience that flows from our real faith. James calls his readers to a, a radical obedience, and I believe this truth is for us today. And so, so if you will, look, look at James chapter 1, and no, notice what James says to this church that has been dislocated, pushed to the margins. This is his word to this fragile community. Verse 22 of chapter 1, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once, forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So according to James, merely hearing God's word and not doing it is on the same level as being deceived. And that's a, that's a strong word, y'all. That, that word deceived is what is used to describe the work and the tactics of our enemy, the devil. And so to be a hearer of the word and not a doer of it is on the same level as being deceived. Which is why James uses this mirror metaphor. So you see, this, this person looks into the mirror and they receive information about what they look like. And then walk away and they forget what they look like. And so, so not only are they proving that they failed to maintain that information of who they are, but there's also a sense in which they're proving that they don't understand themselves. That, they, that there's a disconnect and a dissonance and a confusion about their identity, about their purpose. Because if you think about it, if, if real faith is the pathway towards wholeness, which we've explored already in this series, then we shouldn't be surprised when we feel confused about our callings, about our identity, and our purposes in life, when there is a disconnect between our hearing of the Word of God and our doing of the Word of God. We are incomplete. James weds hearing and doing together as one. We cannot separate them. If we do, we do not have real faith. So think about it this way. Let me, let me illustrate it. I, I think of an electrical circuit, okay? I always get a little bit insecure when I give uh, science illustrations. Uh, so all you scientists out there, you can check my work, okay? So we all know that lamps are powered by pixie dust, right? Okay? Just kidding. Uh, I'm, I'm not that stupid. A, a light bulb, okay, when a light bulb is turned on, um, there is this uninterrupted path of electrons that goes from the source to the device and then back to the source. It's a completed circuit, but when that circuit or that path is disrupted, when that flow is broken up, the electrons stop moving, and there is no power to the lamp. In the same way, the, the electrical circuit of real faith is completed when the word of God comes to us in our hearing and then returns to the source in our doing. It is a completed circuit. To have hearing without doing lacks the power of real faith. 
Now notice, though, I want, I want us to be very clear. So, so James is making it clear that hearing and doing go together. But notice that James is not communicating this in this kind of obligatory, like, you really should do this now. Like, he's not trying to guilt people. Notice the language that he uses in verse 25. He doesn't say, so be doers of the word because this is your religious obligation. What does he say in verse 25? He says that the doer who acts will be blessed in their doing. That there is a blessedness that comes when we connect our hearing of the word of God and our doing of the word of God. When real faith really works, it is really a blessing. Both to those whom we are serving and loving as well as to to us. It is a beautiful picture of what real faith does, which is why right after this, James pens these very unforgettable words in verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And so a major way in which real faith really works itself out in our lives, is in our love and service to the poor, to the marginalized, to the vulnerable, to the oppressed. And and this is a unique emphasis that James is giving, and which we'll see more as the letter kind of continues. But as a side note, this is why we are so excited about our new outreach partner. We've shared this, Care Portal. Is, Care Portal is a phenomenal organization in Kansas City. If you're not familiar with the work of Care Portal, I strongly encourage you to do so. Uh, Care Portal provides opportunities for churches uh, to connect with and meet the needs of, of at-risk children and families in the foster care system, in our parish, in our city, in our communities. And, and it's a beautiful thing. If you're interested, I encourage you to learn more. You can also email uh, this email address. If you'd like to find out information to sign up, you can check out our website. But just, just as a side note to encourage us, we, we have had, since January, when we launched this partnership, we've had 47 people sign up to be responders uh, to immediate needs uh, for foster families in our community. And, and since January, we've had 200 local children who have benefited from the service of our church caring for the needs of our neighbors, which is a remarkable thing. I'm really excited and encouraged by that. And I hope that number grows so that we can continue to be a, a loving community for our vulnerable neighbors. So again, this is a, a big part of what it means to live out our real faith. So, so back to James. That's just kind of an example of how we can live into that today. Back to James. So James has made this inseparable connection between hearing and doing. He then goes on to show how this is connected, our need to serve others is connected to our real faith. He then goes on to show why this is the basis for avoiding partiality. If you were with us last week, that's what Pastor Andrew talked about in chapter 2. But then in chapter 2, James comes back to this theme of faith and works. James tends to repeat himself for various reasons, not the least of which is emphasizing his points. And in James chapter 2, verses 14 and 17, let me read these words again for us. James says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? And so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So James is showing that, that simply, a faith that simply has ears but no hands is a dead faith. 
It's not just an incomplete faith. It's not just a, a, an insufficient faith. It is a dead faith. Again, the, the language of being deceived and being dead, this is strong language that James is using to awaken his readers and us to the inseparable relationship of faith and works, hearing and doing. And again, James specifically has the idea of caring for the poor and the vulnerable among us in mind. You see, a big reason why James is connecting real faith with the care and love of the poor is because throughout Scripture we see God's heart uniquely for the poor, for the vulnerable and the marginalized. Throughout Scripture, and we see it most notably in the Old Testament, but made manifest in the person of Jesus in the New Testament, we see this repetition of God's heart for four types of people, for the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the immigrant. These four categories of people are repeated often throughout Scripture, and God communicates his unique love and compassion for them. In fact, theologian Nicholas Wolterstorff refers to these four types of people as the, the quartet of the vulnerable, that God is uniquely concerned for. And so what we see, and and the reason why God is uniquely caring for them is because they are commonly the victims of of injustice and oppression and abuse. And not just commonly, but compoundingly so. Wolterstorff, he he says this in describing kind of the vulnerable of the quartet. He says the poor, which is a term he uses to kind of describe broadly all of these categories, are not only disproportionately vulnerable to injustice, but usually disproportionately actual victims of injustice. Injustice is not equally distributed. And so when we understand that the poor not only have a significant place of need, but that they're uniquely the victims of injustice in profound compounding ways that should change our perspective and posture toward them. And so James, he's, he's picking up on this aspect of God's heart for the poor as he makes the explicit connection between a real faith and the saving work of Jesus Christ alone and the works of compassion toward the poor. And so when real faith comes to us, when we come to a real saving faith in the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, we find that a care and concern for the poor naturally comes with it. And so church, I, I, we, should, we should ask ourselves this question and be honest, reflectively, individually, and collectively, that if care and concern for the poor, for the widow, for the orphan, and the immigrant is not present within us, then we should take seriously the question if we have real faith, which is not the same as saying, unless you do things, the, these are the things that, that, that God uses to forgive you. That is not what James is talking about. And we'll explain that in a minute. But if we do not have this love and care and concern for the things that God is uniquely caring for and concerned about, we should ask the question if we have real faith. As we're, as we're involved in caring for those in need through our time, through, through our resources, through our finances, through our, our vocations, our workplaces, uh, our schools and communities, our relationships, our networks, how do we think about our real faith living out in real tangible ways? Our Monday lives, the place where we spend the majority of our time, our Monday lives should be places where we creatively seek out ways to see, love, and care for those in need around us. Because again, real faith really works. And James, James doubles down on this. Like you think, like, okay, James, like we've heard of you, the hearing and doing, faith and works, got it. But he's like, no, 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 I'm going I'm to do this one more time, encore. Like James keeps going, and he says this in verse 19 and 20. 
you believe that God is one, you do well, which my paraphrase is good for you. That's my paraphrase of James. Like, oh, good, you believe in God, that he's one, great. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith, apart from works, is useless? Now, this is a haunting verse, not just because there's a reference to demons, but because what this communicates is that demons have good theology. Did you, did you ch- like check that? Like, like, demons believe in God. They believe in the divine. They believe in the God of Scripture. They believe that, that God is triune and one in, 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 in his nature. But they're still demons. Because faith is more than mere intellectual assent to a list of beliefs. Real faith really works. And so for James, I think he would say that, that a faith that doesn't have works isn't just a dead faith. He might even go so far as to say it's a demonic faith. It is not coming from the place of God. Now, for, for some of you, you, you might be here and you're hearing this, and it's, it's like news to you. This is like a, like a fresh word of conviction that like, I, I don't think I ever really saw this connection between faith and works. And perhaps you are sensing that the Spirit's work of convicting you and bringing those two together. But, but my guess is that for many of us, we've heard this message before. We've gone to the conference, we've seen the movie, read the book, got the t-shirt. We know that faith and works go together. We know that faith without works is dead. And so perhaps what we need to hear is this, that a faith that simply believes faith without works is dead, is dead. Are you tracking with me? Like, to, to simply believe that faith without works is dead, is dead. It is not enough to simply recognize that, yes, Scripture teaches that these things go hand in hand together. It is a real living faith is the beautiful wedding together of what we believe about God, about the person and the work of Jesus, that he is our only hope in life and death, and how that truth compels us to live a life of obedience for the glory of God and the good of our neighbors. The demons know that God is one. The demons also know that faith without works is dead. But only believing that faith without works is dead, is dead. And if this is our faith, if this is what we have, we essentially have what I would call a taxidermy faith. So here we go. We've got my my taxidermied duck here. You you think about it, maybe some of you have something like this in your home. And sorry, kids, this is a dead duck. I apologize. Uh, You can talk to your parents afterwards. Uh, But but just think about this. This is kind of the symbol of what a dead faith that James is talking about. It's something you got earlier in life. You, you, you show it off. You have it in your home. You, you admire it from time to time. In fact, you don't mind when people come to your home and ask you about it. You, you made a way to make it memorable so that you could kind of reflect on this very special day when this thing entered your life. But in the end, it's still dead. It looks alive, right? I mean, this like, no, that, that duck is real. It's just like sleeping right now. Like, this duck is dead. It looks alive. But it is dead, I assure you. In the same way, if we are a people who simply give intellectual assent to the idea that faith and works go together, and we do not functionally live out the faith that has radically transformed us, we have a taxidermy faith, we have a dead faith. But even as I say all of this, I'm sure some of you are still asking this question like, okay, I I get that. But, like, what, what happened to the whole, like, you're saved by faith alone thing? 
Like, how does the conversation of God's unmerited grace towards us, not by works so that no man may boast, how does that fit into this conversation of works? And if you're not asking that question, you're going to after you hear what James says next. Look with me at verses 21 through 24. Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. What on earth do we do with this, y'all? Like, this is, this is very hard to reconcile. And I'm not, I'm not saying this to kind of build tension and I'm going to, like, answer it for you, like, very beautifully and poetically. This is a tension that we have to understand and step into. Because if you're familiar with the teachings of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, Paul is explicit. Like, we are justified by faith alone and not by works. And then you get to James, and James is like, yeah, but it's opposite day. And we're justified by works and not faith alone. It's just like, like is, is James's letter just this massive, passive-aggressive subtweet, you know, to Paul? Like, yeah, sure, yeah, we're justified by faith, but you really need works. Like, like what, it feels as though there's tension between these two significant fathers of the faith. So let me attempt to try to explain this. When Paul, when Paul says that we are justified by faith and not by works, he's talking about works that precede conversion, Works that we, we engage in that lead up to conversion. These works cannot justify us. These works cannot compel God to love us and forgive us. They are not the basis upon which we are declared righteous and forgiven. Those works cannot save us. And that is good news. Because there is nothing we can do to earn salvation or compel God to accept us or forgive us. It is all by God's grace. Amen? That's good news. James, however, is talking about works that follow conversion. He's talking about the works that flow from this radically transformed life that has come to see Jesus as our only hope in life and death. James is talking about, or Paul's talking about works that precede conversion. James is talking about works that come out of conversion. Because notice in verse 22, what does James say? He doesn't say that our salvation is completed by works. He says our faith is completed by works, which may sound like a difference with little distinction, but let me, let me explain what I think James is saying here. He is saying that our faith is completed through works, not our salvation. Our salvation is secured, done. Jesus paid once and for all for our sins. There is no need to add to what he has done, but our faith is made complete through works. So think of it this way. When someone asks me about my wife, Megan, when, she, when someone asks me about how, like, how I came to be married to her, I don't sit down and say, oh, man, I remember the day when we applied for our marriage license and, and when we met with the caterers and when we, when we kind of scheduled the church and planned our honeymoon. I'm not talking about the details of our wedding. Those are important. What I spend my time talking about is how, how we met, how we fell in love, how, how I proposed and pledged my life to her, and how after five proposal attempts, she finally said yes. <laughs> just, just kidding. It was three. Um, but, but seriously, like, I, I don't focus on those details. Are they important? Absolutely. The, the wedding and the ceremony and the honeymoon, those things are all important. Those things completed my proposal to Megan. They did not complete Megan's love for me. Are you tracking with me? 
those things, what, the, the, the wedding, the celebrations, the, the church, the cater, all those things, they were, the purpose was to complete my proposal of Megan. They were not what completed Megan's love for me. In like manner, our faith in Christ alone is what promises and completes God's love and forgiveness to us. It is our subsequent works that complete our faith. Or in other words, we are absolutely saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. That's kind of the helpful, kind of very pithy way of remembering this, and it is so helpful. We are absolutely saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. That is why James uses Abraham and Rahab as examples of what real faith looks like. Both Abraham and Rahab responded to God's promises declared to them before they did anything. God promised things to them and revealed himself to them, and they responded in obedience to his promises. That ordering is so crucial that God moves towards his people in covenantal love, and they respond in obedience out of that love. And when we mix up that order, when we reverse it, we fall into heresy, and we have not just a dead faith, but a perverted faith. A faith that says, I work in order to get God to love me and accept me. And as we look at scripture, this order is repeated over and over and over. In fact, just look at Genesis I mean, before Adam is called to even create and do anything for God, he's created. Grace is extended to humanity by being in existence, and then Adam is called to create along with God, to recreate with him. One of my favorite verses in the book of Leviticus, which is like no one's favorite book, uh, in Leviticus 11.45, what does God say? For I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery, to be your God. You shall therefore be holy as I am holy. Do you notice that the order is not, hey, be holy, and then I'll get you out of Egypt. It is, I have rescued you, and so therefore be holy. The words of Jesus in John 15 is, the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. I've loved you, and now abide in it. If you keep my commandments, you will show that you are abiding in my love. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, a familiar verse for many of us. For by grace you have been saved, through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Amen. But keep reading. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That is all in the same breath that Paul is declaring. And then perhaps one of my favorite in the book of Titus, the forgotten book of Titus. It's in there, I promise. Keep looking. Titus chapter 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who do what? Who are zealous for good works. Do you see that real faith really works? That it is not about earning God's love and favor and acceptance, but rather God's radical grace towards us compels us to respond to him with a real faith that really works. Our works are not what move God toward us. Our works are not what compel God to accept us. Our works are not what convince God to forgive us and love us. God doesn't need our works in order to declare us righteous. 
He does not need our works to forgive us from sin and rescue us from death because the work of Christ on the cross was sufficient for all. Amen? But that doesn't mean God isn't interested in our good works. He absolutely is. As Martin Luther so beautifully said, God does not need your good works, but your neighbor does. God does not need your good works to redeem you, to forgive you, to make you his own, but your neighbor does. And so friends, as, as, I, as I bring this just to a close, here, here's what I want us to kind of see, to distill down what James is saying. That hearing and doing go together, faith and works go together. Here is my question for us to consider this week and every week for the days that God graces us to walk this earth. Who will be blessed by your faith on Monday? That, that's the question I want us to consider. Who, who will be blessed by your faith on Monday? Who will be served? Who will be forgiven? Who will be seen and heard and loved? Who will be healed and encouraged? Who will be empowered and challenged and convicted? Who will be uplifted and overjoyed? Who will be brought into the family of God this time tomorrow because of your real faith? Who will know and receive, feel, and be blessed by the love of Jesus through your real faith? Instead of thinking about our faith-driven works through the lens of what, like what should we do? I think it is so much more fitting to ask it through the question of who. Who will be blessed by our faith on Monday? Real faith really works. And friends, I think what we need, what I think our, our church needs, what I think our world needs is for the church to embrace her identity as a redeemed and restored people, transformed through the power of the Spirit, captivated by the good news of Jesus and the kingdom that is now and forever, in such a way that how we live out our faith on Monday, our, our faith is seen and heard in all the places God has called us. Would we be a people so committed to the truth of the gospel that we proclaim on Sunday that it is seen and heard on Monday? Amen? And so church, may we be a people of real faith that really works. Lord, help us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that by your grace you have called us to yourself and that this is not the result of work so that no one may boast. Lord, may that truth radically captivate our minds, our hearts, our hands, everything about us so that we would live in response to your grace in a way that shows we have a real faith that really works. Lord, I pray for every person outside of this room right now that they would be impacted and touched and blessed by those here who leave seeking to live out their faith in ways that really works. Lord, I pray for neighbors and coworkers, classmates, friends, and family members who will be blessed as a result of your people, empowered by your spirit, driven by your gospel, that they would bring blessing to all. Lord, would you use us for the good of your creation, the flourishing of all peoples, and for the glory of Christ Jesus, our King. It is in his name and for his glory we pray. Amen.